If you have sat down, you might join me now in standing for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 7. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. What keeps God up at night? Is God frantic? Is he in a hurry? Is God late? Is he worried about not having enough money? Is he worried about paying the bills? Is he worried about what's going to happen to the economy? Is God worried about how his diet will affect his long-term health? Is God worried about moving to a new city? Is God worried about not getting a job? Is God worried about saying something stupid? Is God worried about doing something stupid? Is God worried about messing up? Is God worried about breaking stuff? Is God worried about stuff breaking? Is God worried about falling into sin? Is God worried about getting arrested for a crime he didn't commit? Is God worried about people's approval? Is God worried about bad grades? Is God worried about not living up to expectations? No. No, he is not. God is not beset with anxieties. It's F.W. Beer. You see, in God there is order. In God there is security. In God there is strength. In God there is tranquility. In God, there is contentment. In God, there is provision. In God, there is abundance. In God, there is wisdom. In God, there is truth. In God, there is justice. In God, there is eternity. In God, there is wholeness. 
In God there is peace. Family, this text has been wrestling with me this week. And I really want us to get that last one, which sums up all the others. In God, there is peace. The peace of God is a gift of God. We can't go out and buy it. We can't order it and have it delivered to our door. We can't hold our breath until it appears. We can't find it at the bottom of a bottle. We can't find it in the last bite of a wrapper of chocolate. We can't discover it in the corner of a new house. We can't find it in the gas tank of a new car. We can't capture it at the peak of success. We can't grasp it with the right friends or the right grades or the right job or the right behavior or the right attitude. The peace of God is with God. This passage reminds us that disruption to peace is everywhere. Everywhere. We can all read the news or read your news feed. And you can see that nations are still fighting against nations. Political parties are still fighting against each other. There's race wars, there's class wars, there's gender wars, there's gang wars. There's fighting in schools, there's fighting about schools. There's war against disease. There's fighting all over the place. But this passage reminds us that disruption to peace is actually closer than the front page. In verses 3 and 4, excuse me, 2 and 3, we meet Yodia and Sintichi, two women who are in the same church. Both of them have been trying to share their gospel with the neighbors. They both follow Jesus. And Paul is calling on this unnamed person, true companion, to be a mediator in their relationship. They won't even talk to each other. In the same church, 
used to work together, share the gospel together, now they need a mediator. Peace can be disrupted in really close relationships. Really close. It gets even closer. Because then Paul says, do not be anxious for anything. And when he says that, he's making it clear that we can be anxious about stuff, and that anxiety is inside of us. There's all kinds of circumstances and worries that can take our attention, our focus off of Jesus. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What am I going to drive? Where am I going to go, go uh, work? Fam, we can be anxious about so many things. So many things. The disruption of peace isn't just way out there or even just in here. It's actually in here. It's in my heart, in my mind. The disruption of peace is everywhere. In fact, it starts here, in me. Sin disrupts peace. When Paul says, excuse me, God made a world that was ordered toward peace. From oceans to plants to animals to people, he ordered us toward peace. People were called to submit to God's word joyfully, which meant cultivating the whole world as a garden where fruit was in abundance. This is the story of Genesis 1 and 2. But in Genesis chapter 3, people stopped trusting God and stopped trusting his word. Stop trusting that his word would bring ultimate peace. They wanted to bring peace on their own terms. Sin disrupted the peace. And the whole Old Testament is a story about God calling his people to trust him and trust his word and return to peace. But sin kept disrupting the peace. Enter Jesus. God's word becomes flesh. And the ultimate peacemaker comes to live on earth. Everywhere he went, peace. Then he died. Not because the disruption conquered him, but to conquer the disruption. He entered the disruption. He died on the cross for your sins and my sins. He died so the disruption would no longer be disruptive. But so you and I could experience God's peace. God's peace is a gift. And if you just receive it, believe. Jesus is my peace. Ephesians 3.14. He said you have peace with God forever. And if you trust in him, as many of you have, what God says is that that peace then transforms you into a peacemaker. You can then go and make peace. We've got to remember that peace is with God. It's from God. It's a gift. It doesn't start with you. It doesn't start with me of God. In this text, we have Paul giving five words to peacemakers. If you're a peacemaker, what does that look like? 
How do you live as a peacemaker? Let's jump in. First thing Paul says is what we find right in the middle of our passage. Right in the middle. In verse 5, he says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. First word to peacemakers, the Lord is at hand. You want to know what's really good news, fam? The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Now, this can be good news or bad news. If you're in Christ, it's really good news. The Lord is at hand. You know, we go out to teach Bible studies in the neighborhood during the week. We call for people to respond to the gospel. We often will say, do you want to let Jesus be your boss? When we say that, what we're saying is, do you want to ask Jesus to be your Lord? you want to recognize Jesus as Lord? That's what we're saying. We use the word boss because we don't really use the word Lord a whole lot. So we use the word boss. And we get boss. When I say the boss is coming, that can be a positive thing. Or a negative thing. I say the teacher's coming. Be a positive thing. Or a negative thing. If we're in the office. And I say the boss is coming. You've been on Facebook for an hour. I make you a little nervous. If you're in the classroom, I say the teacher's coming. And you just landed that glob of mashed potatoes on your best friend's face? Make you a little anxious. The Lord's at hand can be good news, or it can be anxiety-producing news. But here's the thing. If you're in Christ, it's always good news. In fact, regardless, it's always good news. Because Jesus, the peacemaker, always brings peace. Always. It may disrupt what you thought was peace, but it will bring true peace. That's what happens when he comes. And you can read this, this, the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near, as meaning one of two things. One, it could be a time thing. He's coming soon. Or two, it could be a spatial thing. He's near. I think both of them are theologically correct. Now let's think about this. On one hand, the Lord is near because he's coming soon. Jesus is coming back. He came once in the middle of the night. And when he came, most people didn't recognize him. He told the young Jewish girl and her fiance about it. He told some shepherds about it after it happened. But it was mainly the folks on the margins. It was the fishermen. It was the IRS worker everybody hated. It was the disabled, the mentally unstable. Those are the ones who saw him. Those are the ones who believed. Those are the ones who followed. And everywhere he went, he brought peace. People who weren't supposed to get along became close friends. 
People who were blind and paralyzed and deaf, he healed. People who had been burned by religion, he showed them what God was really like. He revealed God to people. But he was really gentle a lot of the time. You couldn't provoke him. He put up with people's faults. Seemed like everywhere he went, he was trying to bring joy to other people. He brought abundance. He brought provision. If you were hungry, food. If you were thirsty, something to drink and more. But finally, he submitted himself to injustice, to cruelty, to disgrace, to hatred, to death. But he trusted God through all of it. And after he died, he was buried in a tomb that didn't belong to him. And three days later, some women found it empty. This is Jesus. This is the Lord. This is the boss. This is the teacher. And a few weeks ago, Pastor John Mark showed us in Philippians chapter 2 that this same Jesus has been exalted. And has been given the name that is above every name, friends. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and should confess and will bow and will confess that Jesus is Lord. He is boss. He is teacher. He's near. He's coming back. He's going to make everything right. Not in the middle of the night, but like a thief in the night. In other words, you're not going to expect him. He's going to come as a conquering king who's going to destroy evil and reward good and make everything peace. Now, if, you, if you're hearing, you know you're not right with God. Then the call of Paul with this word is surrender your life to him. If you want true peace, surrender your life to him. He's near and his peace is coming soon. And all those who know him will experience his peace forever. But the other way to understand peace, the Lord is near, is not just that he's coming soon, but that he is near. He's closer than a brother. When that messenger of light told Joseph that Mary's going to have a baby, he should be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. And before he ascended into heaven, he said, and be with you always. Which means you got a deficit in that bank account, I am with you. You can't find that job, I am with you. Struggling that relationship, I am with you. Uncertain about life, I am with you. Always. Till the end of the age. Never going to leave. The Lord is near. As a peacemaker, we've got to remember, friends, the Lord is near. He's near. He's with you. He's coming soon. Second thing he says, agree in the Lord. Peacemaker, agree in the Lord. Look at verse 2. He says, I entreat Yodia, and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. We don't know what this dispute is about. We don't know what's disrupting the peace. What we do know is that it's affecting the entire church. Everybody knows about it. 
Epaphroditus probably wrote word to Paul. Yo, you got to get on these two. I don't know what's going on. Paul speaks to it in a letter. The only two, only time these two names are mentioned is agree in the Lord. Now, what does Paul say about them? He says these two labored side by side with me in the gospel. They were laborers with me. They were joined with me in the work. Agree in the Lord. Now, what could cause people who once agreed to disagree? Well, a lot of things. I'll tell you, it's more than just color of carpet. More than just style of music. We don't know, but it was pretty severe. Let it rest with you, friends. Agree in the Lord. Why? Because our names are written in the book of life. What is Paul saying? He's saying if you're in Christ and if I'm in Christ, We're in the same book. I was thinking about this. I thought about a book that I have. A few years ago, I was in a leadership class here in Oklahoma City, and at the end of it, we got a book, a little book about this big. And in it, it had phone numbers and email addresses for everybody else that had gone through that same leadership class. At any point, any point, I got a need, pick up the book, call them. Hey, I was in this leadership class. You know me. You don't know me, but you know me. I get a little help. And the idea is, because they were in the same class that I was in, in the same book I'm in, they're going to help. Why? Because they've both been through the class. We've been through the class. We've experienced the same things. We've learned the same things. We can count on each other. What Paul is saying, there's a much bigger book than a leadership class from Oklahoma City. This is the book with the redeemed of the Lamb who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, who have surrendered to Jesus who said, Jesus is my boss, which means we're on the same workforce. We've got the same marching orders. We've got the same reward. He's saying, Yodia, Sintichi, agree in the Lord. This probably would have been difficult. Have your name blasted in front of the whole Philippian church and then Everybody read the Bible for the next 2,000 years? But Paul was saying, I care so much about this. This is so much about who we are in Christ. I'm going to say agree. Fight for it. Do it. Don't let anything stop you. You're on the same team. Let it wrestle you, church. Let it wrestle you.
Second, the third thing he says is rejoice in the Lord. Not once, but twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. It's not like we didn't hear you the first time, Paul. You just said it. Yeah, but I got to say it again. I got to say it again. Why? Why? Probably because he said always. He said always. You know when it's easy to rejoice? You know when it's easy to celebrate? When I get what I want. It's real easy. I pray for a new, and it comes. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that God would mend, provide, and he does. Thank you, Lord. But he said always. He said always. Which means if I pray and 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 and all I get is faith, celebrate, rejoice. Talk to some grandmas who have been praying for them kids. Talk to the spouse who's been praying for the other half. He says, always. How can I celebrate? How can I rejoice? Always. Because peace is with God. Is it in the answer of my prayer? No. It's in the God who gives it. Which means that as a Christian who has given up everything to follow Jesus, who has a hope laid up in heaven that can never be taken away. Who has family that I never would have had before. Who's part of a universal kingdom that even if right now I don't feel like things are going my way, what he has promised is that this circumstance, like every circumstance, he will work out for my good, regardless of what else happens. Which means I can rejoice now. I can rejoice. When I think about this, I think about David. King David and the book of Samuel. 
He sinned a great sin. He committed adultery with somebody who wasn't his wife. She got pregnant. And the child, God said, was going to die. David fasted. He prayed. got on his knees. He asked God, Lord, please don't take my child. Don't do it. Don't do it. He got news that the baby had died. And the Bible says that he got up, washed his face, put on his clothes, went to have some breakfast. What? How can I celebrate when the worst thing in the world has happened to me? How can I rejoice when things aren't going the way I expect and the way they ought to? And David says, baby can't come to me, but I'm going to my baby. See, David hoped in God. He hoped in God. He could rejoice, which is much deeper than just celebrating, much deeper than just happiness. He could have joy in God, even in the worst situation, because I know that this is a God of justice and peace who I can trust. We can rejoice always. Because the same God who rescued you from sin has promised that every good thing is yours in Christ. We can celebrate. Fourth thing is that the peacemakers practice reasonableness. Let your reasonableness be known to all. Now, the NAS translates this, New American Standard Bible translates this as gentleness. Let me talk about this word, reasonableness, gentleness. What I call this is poetic mercy. Poetic mercy. I'm going to read you what one theologian, how he describes this word reasonableness, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it. In the context of Ill treatment, torture, even disgraceful death. This word strongly suggests that reasonableness here signifies a humble, patient steadfastness, which is able to submit to injustice, disgrace, and maltreatment without hatred or malice, trusting God in spite of all. This is the idea of putting up with other people's faults. Not seeking your own revenge. This is what reasonableness means. Gentleness means. What is God saying? What is Paul asking us to do? I think what he's saying is practice poetic mercy. Now, some of y'all know poetic justice. I'm not talking about Tupac Shakur and Janet Jackson. What I'm talking about is poetic justice, which is ironic justice that if someone does evil, even though they seem to get 
to get in on top, they actually end up getting what they deserve. Poetic justice. I'm talking about poetic mercy, which is an ironic show of mercy. What does this mean? Poetic mercy. This means that if someone slaps me on my right cheek, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn the other cheek also. Poetic mercy. Mercy, it doesn't make sense. If somebody forces me to walk one mile, you know what I do? I walk two. Poetic mercy. Mercy, it doesn't make sense. I get bullied by a kid in school. Makes fun of me because of the color of my hair. What do I do? I ask my mom to make some cookies so I can take it to him tomorrow. I'm going to say, man, I think you were having a bad day yesterday. These might help. Mercy that doesn't make sense. Continuing to do an excellent job for my boss that doesn't ever pay me what I deserve. Poetic mercy. Mercy that doesn't make sense. Now, why in the world would anybody practice poetic mercy? Mercy that doesn't make sense. How is that reasonable? But if you're like me, I deserve hell. But you know what? God didn't give me hell. You know what he did? He gave me peace. You know where I deserve to be? Based on my thoughts and my heart attitudes? Not here. Not talking to y'all. You know what? I've been treated a lot better than I deserve. In fact, I've been treated like a son of God. Which means when I die, I have life waiting for me. How about you? If you're a recipient of poetic mercy, mercy that doesn't make sense, then the only reasonable thing to do is to practice it. The only thing that is rational, the only thing that is the logical outflow of being a recipient of poetic mercy is to show poetic mercy. You want to know how to subvert wickedness, how to subvert injustice, be a peacemaker. What does that mean? Practice poetic mercy. Give it when it doesn't make sense. It says, let your reasonableness be known to all. Not the world's reasonableness. The reasonableness of the Son of God dying on the cross for your sins and my sins. Let's practice it. And commune with Jesus as we do. Number five. Stop worrying and pray. Stop worrying and pray. It says, be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything, 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 with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I love how D. Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about this. He says, prayer is worship. You're anxious, can't sleep? Worship God. Praise Him. Adore Him. Remember His goodness to you. Praise Him for who He is. God, I, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to pay for these medical bills. But Lord, I know you've promised that you're going to take care of me. That you're never going to leave me. In fact, you sent your son to not leave me alone. So this is no big deal to you because you outshine the sun. And your faithfulness reaches to the clouds and your love is like an ocean that I can't contain. He says, worship. And he says, make supplication. Tell him what's up. Lord, I'm a little anxious. He says, cast it on him. Cast it on him. The little things, the big things, doesn't shock him, doesn't surprise him. Doesn't worry him. He's not anxious. He already knows you are. Tell him about it. Then he says, thank him. We talked about that earlier with Psalm 100. Thank him. Lord, you've been so good to me. I just want to thank you. Like the old preachers used to do. Thank you that I got up this morning and was clothed in my right mind. I got shoes on my feet. I got a shirt on my back. I got more than I deserve. I'm not talking about just like positive thinking. I'm not talking about just like replacing negative thoughts with good thoughts. I'm talking about is coming before a holy God who cares about you, knows you, knows every need that you have, who has given you peace with him. And he says, cast yourself on it. That's what he means by pray with supplication and thanksgiving. And he says, you know what's going to happen if you do? Is the peace of God is going to be a soldier, a watchman, a garrison. He's going to hold the gate. He's going to protect you. Protect your heart, your mind in Christ. He doesn't say your anxiety is going to go away. He doesn't say your need is going to be met. He doesn't even talk about your need. He doesn't even talk about your specific anxiety. What he says is the peace of God is going to guard you. Because you know what? If you're in Christ, how you're doing is not dependent on your circumstance. It's not dependent on how you feel. It's not dependent on what changes and what doesn't. In fact, your circumstances can be out of control and you can still have peace. 
Remember Peter? Fisherman. Master of the sea. Mastered by the sea. I can't control my boat. Neither can my buddies. Out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, I can't. I'm totally out of control. Look out. She's a ghost on the water. I'd flip out of the boat. Lord? If it's you, tell me to come. Did the storm change? No. What did Peter do? The only person who's not divine who walked on water. His circumstance didn't change, but he kept his eyes on Jesus. So he walked above the disruption to peace. He walked over his circumstance. Did he keep himself up? No. Peter could not control anything. He was totally out of control. But who was in control? The peacemaker, Jesus. Because the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Let's pause five words to peacemakers. Peacemakers got five words for us. One, the Lord is near. He is coming soon. He's with us. Two, agree in the Lord. Keep fighting for unity and keep fighting for relationship. Three, rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate in him. When? Always. Why? Because God is still good. Four, practice poetic mercy. Because he did for you. And five, stop worrying. And pray. Now, I hope in this time of turbulence, this time of unrest, that something that we're talking about resonates with you. I know it's wrestling me. But this is our calling, friends. Matthew 5, verse 9. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. They should be called children of God. Because you know what? If you, remember the, if you remember the Lord is near, and you fight for relationship, and you rejoice when it doesn't make sense, you practice mercy when it doesn't make sense, and you don't worry because God's in control, you can look like a child of God. You can't get there on your own. But the same God who is peace gives it to us freely as a gift. Let's receive it together.
Why don't you bow your heads with me and pray? Our Father, I just thank you that your purpose, your kindness, is to bring us to peace. God, there's a lot of junk, a lot of chaos, a lot of disruption in our world, in our hearts, in our lives. But God, what we believe is that you are a God of peace. And Jesus is our peace. So I pray for my friends and I pray for myself. God, would you help us to walk and live in your peace as peacemakers for your glory. In Jesus' name.